Hey there, I'm Brian. And I'm David. And we are the Cloud Whisperers. So, Brian. Good to, good to hear from you again. This is a, an interesting, our very first on-the-road version of the Cloud Whispers because I am currently in Charlotte, North Carolina, because I'll be presenting at SharePoint Saturday Charlotte tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. I've always wanted to go see one of those with you doing your thing, man. It's fun to do this with you, but do uh – See you in front of people doing your thing, man. That's something I definitely want to do. So. <laughs> well, well, we're going to have one in San Antonio at some point, uh, hopefully in November. But uh, if we do, we'll definitely have you come out for that and probably get you up in front of people, too, and get you presented. Oh, boy. <laughs> so uh, that, that'll be fun. Uh, and, and so the cool part about this is we are getting to use one of the cool Microsoft Office 365 cloud features, right? We are using Microsoft Teams to record this meeting, and then it's going to pump it up into stream when we're done. So I'm, I'm, I'm hyped about that. I'm looking forward to the transcript and see how good a job it does. Yeah. <laughs> I always, so, every time my voice is recorded, it's always something that gets messed up. I don't know why. I think my enunciation is not as good as it should be. <laughs> That is that is probably it as well. So what? So now you know what I'm doing. What have you been up to lately? Still in the uh, cross-tenant Office 365 migration scenario, and now what we're looking at is the historical content migration. Oh. Uh, so after doing a little bit of research, I know there's third-party tools and everything out there that'll do it, but the customer basically said, we want to migrate everything. Right? I want to migrate all of it. So whatever's wow. over there, we need to migrate it. Started looking in there and found some inactive mailboxes. So oh. when you put something on litigation hold, you remove the license, and all of a sudden it becomes an inactive mailbox. It's kind of like the same concept of a disconnected mailbox in on-premises exchange. It's just a disconnected mailbox in the cloud. So how do we get that content out and into another tenant? And sure enough, you can use the content search capabilities within Security and Compliance Center. So I can export the content out to PST files, individual PST files for all of those mailboxes. Again, this is a scenario where I don't have a third-party migration tool. And I can import into the data governance, the advanced data governance uh, interface using the import feature. And what's really nice about that is I can select it, I can be selective about the content that I'm going to finally import and where I'm going to import it. For example, the PST file has information that's 20 years old and I only need 10 years uh, of data based on retention policy, then I can actually can manipulate that import with the wizard and advanced data governance. So it gives you a lot of capabilities. That is, that is really awesome. That's cool. Yeah, and you can actually import into an inactive mailbox on the target side. You have to create that path, right? I have to create a mailbox over there, but I can actually import into an inactive mailbox. I don't have to have a, you know, a user license for this. And I have a question into Microsoft now about how that actually works because Microsoft at one point in time, they talked about charging for that inactive mailbox. Uh, right. Charging two or three dollars or something, you know. But now their, their guidance for inactive mailboxes is that you apply a license that allows you to set litigation hold. Once you set litigation hold, Remove the license, it becomes an inactive mailbox. Hmm. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's something that I'm sure people are going to become very interested in over time, especially as we start seeing more and more people moving around on uh, different tenants and stuff like that. So coming coming soon. I mean, this is something that I'm really excited to hear about at Ignite. Going to have the capability to share a namespace between two yes. five tenants. So that, that, I'm that, really I'm, looking forward to that coming about because oh, now we yeah. have the capabilities of doing the same thing that we did. An on-premises exchange, there's a lot more flexibility on the migration side of things, too. Yes, that, that will make things a lot easier um, from an organizational standpoint. Yep. All right, so so I, I have a question for you, um, sure. and this is, this is something that has popped up a number of times, and I think this is something that I know you know an awful lot about. But uh, I've had a lot of clients recently that are, you know, they're starting to move into the cloud. And uh, one of the things that they're concerned about is, you know, they are moving from what, what I tend to call the fortress network, uh, you know, model, right? Where I've built this fortress that my data and my content lives inside there's of. There's a moat around it. <laughs> yeah, there's a moat and there's there's walls. and there's archers. Got, <laughs> yeah, a barbed wire and, and trip wires and all kinds of stuff. It's also called an edge security model, right, where I've Right. Through the edge, right? That's probably the more correct term. I like fortress network. Um, but we're moving into this thing where instead of my data living there, my data could live anywhere. And so we're getting into a zero trust model, right? Where, where really I, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I no longer really know, inherently know that that person coming after my data that's accessing data is coming from inside of my network and all these kinds of things. It could be getting from anywhere. So how, what are the tools that are out there that can enable us to ensure that our employees, that my employees and only my employees are actually accessing my data? Because that is a, that, that, that is an increasingly large concern for organizations as we move into, as we move into the cloud. You really just kind of described what conditional access is, Azure AD conditional access on the Microsoft side. There's other solutions out there that do this too. Uh, the way that I like to think about this is it's not really simply simply focusing on who has access to an application anymore. It's just not good enough, right? Just who has access to this one particular application. It's more about how can we put more conditions around that? How, how can we automate the access control decisions when people are accessing data? And really, it, it, it boils down to people accessing an application within uh, Office 365, so a SaaS-based application. Uh, that could be Exchange Online, that could be SharePoint Online, that could be Teams, that could be anything. We have the capabilities of, of controlling that access. So we really have to think about it a little differently. And, and what I like to explain to people is the, the firewall that you've had in that Fortress network in the past, that firewall that protects, you know, that one place for holding all of your policy is now conditional access in Azure AD. Conditional access takes the place of that. So whenever I come in as a user and I'm using my identity to authenticate against Azure AD, Azure AD is going to make me go through a conditional access uh, policy, right? I set these policies. So it goes through the conditional access engine. So my firewall that was a network entry point back in the day is now an identity entry point, and that's what triggers this, this these policies that are so that's kind of how I like to break it down for people just to help them understand what's different about this. Now, I think the beautiful thing about conditional access is it's a wizard. It's not going in and 
to a, a Cisco firewall or, or a, you know, a Palo Alto firewall. These, these can be complex type of configurations that only a network engineer can do. And most of the time, now we've got the ability to just run this wizard and say, this user in this group accessing this cloud application from this device, uh, from this location, we have all of these capabilities. We have all of these conditions that we can apply to this, and we can stack these conditions on top of each other, too. Tell me about some of these conditions we can stack. Like, uh, what are some of the things that we can actually test for? So we can look at the two things that are required is you have to uh, specify a user and you have to specify an application, right? So you have to have those two things. Uh, those are the first top, the top two conditions. Then we have what's called device state. Okay. So I can say, is this device registered in Azure AD? So my personal mobile, have I registered that device in Azure AD? Is it registered okay. in some sort of Intune policy? Another example would be a uh, what we call an Azure domain join scenario where I have a Windows 10 computer that I've joined to Azure AD, not okay. to an on-premises Active Directory, uh, okay. Azure AD directly. And then we have a location. So I can do IP ranges. I can okay. do based on what country you're coming from. So that IP exists in a certain country. I don't want that country logging in uh, or accessing a particular okay. application. Uh, I can restrict the type of application you use to authenticate with. What's your, okay. what you're actually accessing? Uh, so for example, the, uh, Outlook mobile app, I can force my users to use the Outlook mobile app and mm-hmm. that is going to open up the features like DLP and all that. I, I, I can have that Outlook mobile scenario be protected by those compliance features now. Right. So, so, then, so instead of letting them use the native Android or the na- or the iOS Apple Mail, right? You could exactly. force them into the Outlook Mail. Right. Okay. That's correct. Yep. And and so when you say applications, so are you talking about um, are you talking about applications like we just said there, where I'm talking about the app on the phone, or are you talking about things like uh, if you're accessing OWA or you're accessing OneDrive or you're accessing SharePoint? Is are those restrictable as well? That's correct. Yeah. So what you can say is you can say something like whenever this user is logging in and they're accessing SharePoint online from an untrusted network, Mm -hmm. require MFA. So that's the kind Ah, of thing that we can do. All right. So a condition statement with a, you know, an access control. What what do we want to do? We want to block. What action do we want to take? We want to allow access. Do we want to enforce MFA or do we want to block access? And all of the conditions are and, anded. Mm-hmm. They all have to be true in order for that action to take, be in effect, I guess you'd say. And if I have multiple policies and I'm a, I'm a user that's involved in multiple policies, then, and, and all those line up, then all of those in, those, in those two different policies, all of those conditions have to be true. If I'm, if I am, if I'm understanding this correct, right, I've got that ability now to be able to sit there and tell somebody, if you're, say, for example, on, if you're on the corporate-issued laptop that is joined to the corporate domain, right, I can treat and, – and, and even if you're not inside the corporate network, I can treat you with a higher level of trust than if you happen to be on, say, the, the kiosk PC at the hotel in the business center. That's exactly correct. So okay. That particular uh, technology or, or I guess that, that feature is called the hybrid Azure AD joint device. 
So it's okay. basically a computer that's joined to your on-premises Active Directory network mm-hmm. that synchronizes out to Azure AD, and I'm leveraging the fact that it's actually been added to the domain by an administrator, and that's a corporate device. I know at that point that it's a corporate device. Mm-hmm. I'm leveraging that now in an Azure AD conditional access policy. That's right. Okay. That, make, that makes sense to me then. And that, and that's really powerful because – so let me ask another scenario. So I, I, I'm thinking in terms of – and I had a customer ask me about this actually. This is, a, this is a, a, one of those stories from the field. Um, what do you do when you've got a customer – you know, got an employee who is on vacation and they go out of the country like down to Belize, let's say, or to Costa Rica, or maybe they go to Eastern Europe or, um, you know, they, they travel to um, – I, we, I, I always tend to use like, you know, Pakistan or, or Ukraine because they, there's often sometimes hackers from those locations, right? But what if sure. somebody takes a, what if takes a vacation to Ukraine? I mean, I've been to the Ukraine. It was many, many years ago. But if, what if I took a vacation to the Ukraine and suddenly, uh, I'm trying to log in and you've got the Ukraine blocked. So I, I, I'm not able to log in. I wouldn't be able to get in at all at that point in time, right? Are there, are there other ways that you can, you can find out if it's, it's really me that's logging in from the Ukraine versus, you know, some hacker that's trying to get into our system and steal our stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So what you just explained there is a, is a location based condition. So mm-hmm. it's, it's coming from an IP that is in one of those countries, one of those locations. Okay. So I also have the identity. That's identity is a condition. And remember, mm-hmm. these are these are conditions that all of them have to be true. So I have an identity. My identity. I've signed in. Okay. Well, what if somebody's you know hack you know, my identity? What do I do there? Okay. Well, now I have device state. Are you coming from a registered device? Is your phone that you're using registered? Is your a computer that you've used that you've plugged in there in the hotel or wherever you're at, you've taken your corporate laptop with you. Um, is that a hybrid domain joined? Is that a compliant device? Is that a managed device in our environment? Um, and then multi-factor, right? I can actually, from an action perspective, I can say, hey, I'm going to ask also for multi-factor authentication. It's really a matter of how you want to, and what you really have to do, right, is you really have to think of all of these different scenarios. It's a planning exercise up front and put them in what we like to call a conditional access matrix. So we want to have a conditional access matrix that identify all of these different scenarios, and we want to make sure that we accommodate for those up front, and then we build the policy based on that conditional access matrix. And those policies were building that in Azure, right, in the in the Azure AD conditional access area? That's correct, yep. So okay. the, the idea is that we we get on a whiteboard or something and, and we draw up, a, you know, just a matrix, like we're playing tic-tac-toe, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we figure out what the different scenarios are and how we want to protect. And we think of all the different applications we have. We think about all the different locations that people might be logging in from. Think about all the devices we have. And we think about risk associated with each of those applications that we would be logging into. If it's an HR application, I probably don't want that person logging in from one of those locations. So we're just right. going to block that all together. So it really is a planning exercise up front. Every condition that you put in, you can have an inclusion and an exclusion mm-hmm. as well. So that gives me a lot of flexibility. And that's actually a classic, or that's actually how we set up what's called a a trusted network scenario. So how do I accommodate, how do I say, if I'm outside of my network, how do I do that? And the way that we do that is we say, include all the trusted ones, but exclude all other locations. Gotcha. So I can 
exclude the trusted and exclude all other locations. So that's kind of the way that we set up that outside the corporate network scenario. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So all of this sounds really complex. Um, what are some of the what are some of the the, the the tips and tricks that you've seen that are kind of the pitfalls uh, that people should think about before they get into setting up this um, uh, conditional access? Very very good question. And, and again, I, I want to reiterate that this is not something that you just start plugging in policies and doing. This is a planning. You have to go through a planning exercise here. We have to develop, I encourage people to create a conditional access matrix. There's some really good examples out there. Um, you can go to the, the docs.microsoft.com site. You can find all sorts of examples of how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but really what we want to pay special attention to when we're creating these policies, when we actually get down to deploying a policy, we want to make sure that we're not going to lock ourselves out, right? We, mm. we want to make sure that we're not <laughs> creating a policy for all users for all groups in for cloud apps and then blocking people that have that mindset of a block all first and then start allowing. Um, that's really not how we're going to do things with conditional access in the beginning. So what I encourage people to do is whenever they're deploying a new policy, you break it out into phases. Right? Okay. So you start with a small group of users. You let them kind of pilot it for a while, make sure that everything looks good. Then you go into a phase two, you add a little bit more users, <laughs> you still exclude the administrators so they don't get locked out. Right. And then you can move into a phase three where we're applying it to all. And, th and that would be an example of where we would want to apply that policy to all. So again, I go back to the planning exercise. We need to know what those business scenarios are and what we want to restrict for all users or control for all users is probably a better way to say that. And then you and I were talking about this earlier. I think it's also a good idea to create yourself a dedicated account mm -hmm. that is for policy administration only. Policy administration, okay. and then I exclude it from all policies. Ah, uh, so that way, if if I were to turn on a location based that inadvertently turn, you know, I wouldn't lock myself out. That's right. Exactly yeah. right. Because <laughs> that would be very. That would be very. You'd have to call Microsoft and get a ticket at that point, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. That's exa actually, <laughs> oh, that's exactly what you have to do. And well, we don't. Is, we don't want that to happen. That's yeah. for sure. And there is a cool. There's a cool new feature that they have too. And and I, I do a lot of PowerShell and all that as well. And it's there's a what if parameter in PowerShell. So conditional access now has a what if tool. So cool. you can use that what if tool to say, okay, if I applied this policy now, what would happen? I've I've seen that and I've I've kind of played around with it a little bit, but um, I haven't run across a situation where that that would actually really make sense to run the what if command first. So I, I would encourage folks to use that before they actually deploy the policy to that first phase. So really, I guess you could say it'd be four phases, right? First phase would be evaluate the policy using what if, then go to a small group of users, uh, go to a little bit more users in the third phase, and then finally apply it to all. That's typically what what I tell people, and be very careful not to block yourself out, like we said. We don't want to block ourselves out. Yeah, that would that would not be good. All right, so so that's that's great. Um, so let's talk about one more thing, right? So I think I mentioned a previous podcast that I was going to order myself uh, one of the new Oculus Rift VR headsets, and it, it arrived. And I was going to give you guys a quick report on, uh, on on what that looks like, and it is 
it is really nice. It is a very cool little system because it's completely self-contained. So there's yeah. no unlike unlike my my Windows Mixed Reality headset, I don't have a big VGA cable or HDMI cable rather coming up to my head uh, because it's uh, the, the it, it, it and unlike uh, uh, my my buddy's got a, a Samsung uh, Gear VR um, and I've got the the Google. Pixel, so I could theoretically get a daydream headset and run things right. You're not using your phone to do it, okay? It is a, it, but it's its own dedicated computer. Uh, the graphics are amazing. They're, they're, to me, they're is just as good as the graphics on the mixed reality headset, near as I can tell. Um, and then um, it's got its own memory on board, and so you can download um, you can download things into it and and use it. I'll tell you the thing I've been using it for more than anything is is actually watching Hulu, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's it's a cool yeah. experience because you you right. launch the Hulu app and it and it makes you feel like you're in a in a either the, you can set up an environment right. And the one I like is they call it uh, the city the the modern apartment. And so it's like you're in this penthouse apartment and you can kind of look out and see the city skyline behind you. And um, and then and then you've got this like looks like about a 12 foot diagonal, you know, big screen TV in front of you. And that's where it that's where it plays the TV show. And I ended up I ended up watching the last few episodes of The Looming Tower that way. Um, The only the only downside to it is because it's all self-contained, it's got uh, it has a battery that has to be recharged. And I found that it you can run it for about 90 to 120 minutes uh, before it needs to get plugged in and recharged. And it's it, it it's while you can use it while it's recharging, um, it, it's not the most pleasant experience because then well, you're, yeah, just, tethered you're, you're, you're you're tethered to you know at this case the the not very long micro USB um, <laughs> uh, cord. It it, it, it they, they comes with about a four foot maybe micro USB cord, which you know. But if you're trying to like sit there and actually do something, it can be a little a little odd. But I mean, it's got a web browser. It's got um, some of the. I mean. It's got the only thing it doesn't do that I wish it did is it doesn't run Facebook Spaces, right? Which was Microsoft, which is um, Facebook's um, VR communal environment. Yeah. That you have that you need an Oculus Rift or uh, an HTC um, uh, Vive or a Windows Mixed Reality headset for, and it doesn't. So, so as a result, I can't use this one and also have somebody on my Mixed Reality headset and have them being able to converse with each other in Facebook Spaces. It has this, it has a version of it that it calls Oculus Rooms, which is really cool. It's got like games in it. You can play like you can literally play like chess or checkers or um, uh, Reversi or Boggle. Or Simon says at the, at the game table. I just need to find somebody else who has one of these things so I can bring them in there and we can actually do some of the social aspects and stuff like that. So yeah. it's cool. It's cool. It, it's it's the like price is coming down on those uh, on those. Uh, so so this, and all that this, too. this one's one hundred ninety nine dollars for the Oculus uh, Go. Yeah, so and I saw your Facebook the the. Video you posted on Facebook, it looked phenomenal, yep. man. I mean, yeah, and, and, yeah, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, that you could do that. You can go live. You can do. You can go live in Facebook, okay. and it will it will broadcast. It broadcasts your audio and what you're looking at. The one thing I learned from watching that video later on was you need to move your head very slowly, because otherwise it, it's like very <laughs> it, it 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 can really disturb somebody who's watching it otherwise. So. Yeah. So that's well, my new probably just the video and or, you know yeah. makes the video jump and things like that. Yep, yep. So that's my new toy. I, I heard you got a new toy as well. I, I did, I did. I got a new truck, and I was actually 
hanging out with a few friends the other day, and I was asking them, hey, um, I really need you guys to show me how to use all this new Bluetooth stuff in this truck. <laughs> I, I, I had my – I have a Toyota Tacoma. I bought a new one, but the uh, one that I bought, uh, the original one I bought, the one I just traded in, was in 2009. And I didn't get it with any of the navigation or anything like that. I literally had – all I had was a – plug and i thought this was cool at the time a plug that would plug into the back the bottom of my ipod oh yeah, yeah. I could the, play. Aux, the aux input yeah, yeah whatever yeah, the aux input where they call it so i thought that was cool and then i i get in this truck and the guy i'm, I'm going through the purchasing process with this truck and the guy's like okay i need to walk you to the back and we're going to set up the app first before we go and look at the truck I'm like set up the app what do you mean so they're <laughs> setting the app up I'm pretty, he's, he's telling me the VIN number, you know, it's like one alpha one, you know, I'm typing in the VIN number of the truck into this app before I even get in the truck. Wow. I'm on my iPhone before I even get in the truck. And then I get in the truck, it downloads all my contacts, it brings everything in. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this truck just hacked into my iPhone. <laughs> And I'm trying – music starts playing, and it defaults to – if I don't have the iTunes uh, uh, album downloaded, it's going to default to going to iTunes and Apple's cloud and playing it from there. So uh, i got to worry yeah. about my data. And it's uh, – I drive off the lot in this thing. I finally figure out how to get the – well, I didn't really have to figure much out. The, the song just started playing, and my phone – it was all going through my phone. <laughs> and I get on the road, and the truck starts beeping at me. And I'm like, why is the truck beeping at me? Well, it's got the technology that lets you know that, hey, you just went over the, the white line on the right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that thing would be beeping at me constantly. <laughs> No, exactly. Cruise control will automatically slow down. Yeah, um, my, my, my flex does that. It's really nice. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't – I don't think it automatically breaks. I haven't gotten that far with it yet, mm -hmm. um, but it will let you know that, hey, you need to apply the brake now. Yep. <laughs> and this stuff freaks me out because I, I, I've had a truck, you know. It's, it's just – it's almost like I was driving it back in the 80s or something, you know. Hey, I mean, the you, technology you, has gotten so good in these things. I mean, well, 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 just just to let you know, the the truck the, the the truck that I had before I got my flex was a 91 Ford Ranger. Oh, and it, and, 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 and it it had a stereo radio with FM, and that was as advanced <laughs> as it got. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, speaking of advanced technology, I have got some awesome news for you and the rest of the Cloud Whisperers listeners. We are now on iTunes. Um, nice. so you can, you can go out now and you can go, if you, if you found us because you, through social media or something like that, what we really want you to do now is subscribe to us on iTunes, okay, and leave a review. Tell us, tell us, you know, tell other people what you like about this, this program. Tell us if you want, if you, if what you don't like and, and we can, we can make it better because we want this to be a valuable addition to your, um, your, your listening repertoire. And if you have a new truck like me, you can actually listen to it through your Bluetooth. <laughs> exactly. I, I, hey, when I drive around, that's all I listen to in, in, in my Flex is, um, is, is podcasts. And so I, I now have the, the, the Cloud Whisperers podcast in my podcasting app on my, on my, uh, my Google Pixel 2. And I can listen to us as I drive down the road. Of course, I listen at 1.5 speed because I'm, I'm just in a hurry all the time. And yeah. so I, I've discovered it's why I have written on my show notes slow. 
talk, <laughs> talk slowly, David, because I get passionate and I start going really fast. Yes. So I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm glad I'm looking at it right now. Slow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a, this has been a blast. We're gonna have to do this again yeah, soon. Sure. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it sounds like you and I are on the road at different times too. So I ha- I'm glad that we have the capability of doing this now. Um, I don't really have an excuse anymore to say, "Hey, I'm in a customer in Houston" or anything <laughs> like that. We we can actually record, man. So we'll get back yep. on, yeah, on, a, on a great there. Yeah. Thank you, David. All right, I appreciate man. all your time, man. Hey, we'll we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. 